Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Connery, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. This is a special bonus episode related to the consumer protection warning issued by the Vermont Cannabis Control Board on February 2nd. We'll be right back with the details. Welcome back. We are here today to discuss the CCB's recent consumer protection warning regarding cannabis flower in the market that was found to be contaminated with a banned fungicide. This is the first warning that has been issued by the CCB since adult use stores opened in Vermont back in October. We don't have all the details yet, but we wanted to share what we do know and the questions it raises so that consumers can make informed purchasing decisions moving forward. It is also important to be able to identify signs of a possible exposure how to take care of yourself in this instance, and how to report it. So what do we know so far? The full warning statement, available on the CCB's website, details the following. A consumer reported an adverse health impact allegedly related to smoking flour produced by the Holland Cannabis Company. The Holland Cannabis Company is located in the town of Holland in the Northeast Kingdom. It is registered to Matthew Morin as a Tier 2 mixed cultivation license, which allows up to 2,500 square feet of indoor cannabis canopy and up to 312 outdoor plants. Sample testing of the complainant's purchase flower and other Holland Cannabis Company flower collected from a retail store verified that multiple cultivars from this grower tested above action limits for microbutanol, the active ingredient in the fungicide commonly known as Eagle 20. This product is banned from use on cannabis plants by the state of Vermont. The CCB is investigating this report and coordinating with other state agencies to gather information about the potential health impacts of smoking flour contaminated with this fungicide. There is minimal literature available on the health impacts of heating and inhaling microbutanol. Potential symptoms of exposure are rash, headache, diarrhea, abdominal pain, vomiting, nosebleed, and eye irritation. The CCB has halted the sale of all Holland Cannabis Company flour at all retail establishments until it can confirm the safety of its products. Consumers that have purchased any of this company's flour are instructed to return it to the store where they purchased it. The CCB confirmed that the following five licensed retail locations have sold Holland Cannabis Company flour. Zen Barn in Waterbury, the High Country Cannabis in Derby, the Green Man in St. Johnsbury, Lamoille County Cannabis in Morrisville, and Capital Cannabis Company in Montpelier. If you have experienced symptoms consistent with exposure or any adverse health effects from consuming cannabis flour or products, the CCB advises that you should seek medical attention or call Poison Control immediately at 1-800-222-1222. Next, report the event to the retail establishment where the product was purchased and then submit a complaint with the CCB through their website. And finally, upon completion of the investigation, the CCB will issue any further health and safety orders and will impose the appropriate regulatory actions. Now, according to an article published in Seven Days, five different cultivars grown by Holland Cannabis Company tested positive for microbutanol. Each of the harvest batches associated with these cultivars will be destroyed. 
Complicating the story is the fact that while each of these cultivars had been submitted to the CCB for product registration, not all of them had been approved, which means they shouldn't have been available for sale. A key part of the registration process is the CCB's review of the certificates of analysis that accompany each product. These certificates report on the cannabinoid content, residual pesticides and solvents, human pathogens, and heavy metals that may exist in a product. To learn more about the Vermont testing protocols, listen to our conversation with CCB Director of Compliance, Carrie Jagir, in Episode 9. Any product that fails to meet the safety parameters set by the CCB are not released to the market. It is not clear at this time how many of the five cultivars in question had been approved and which were not. Either way, it brings up the following concerns. How did unapproved products make their way onto retail shelves? Both the cultivator and the retail stores have a responsibility to follow the rules regarding product registration, meaning that a cultivator should be withholding product from retailers until it has been approved, and furthermore, that retailers should only be bringing approved products into their inventory. We have a situation here where either the cultivator, the retailers, or both parties involved either made a mistake, were misinformed, or purposefully moved forward without getting a green light from the CCB. It's also possible that a breakdown in the functionality of the tracking system could lead to an error. We don't know the cause yet in this case. I am aware that both retailers and producers have been frustrated by how long it takes for products to get to market because of delays at the product registration level. Understandably, producers are eager to get their product to market to recoup their investment, and retailers are wanting to add variety and depth to their menus to drive sales. Hopefully, this bottleneck will be relieved soon. In the meantime, this incident highlights the importance of following the procedures in place in order to protect consumer safety. The second area of concern is that some of these contaminated products were actually approved, which means that the COAs submitted at the time of product registration showed that they passed the safety parameters required by the state. This was confirmed by Chair Pepper of the CCB in a Vermont Digger article published on February 7th. The original COA showed trace amounts of myclobutanol, which shouldn't be present at all, but at levels well below safety parameters set by the state. However, analysis of subsequent samples of the same harvest lot show levels at 100 times this concentration. So what happened here? Again, we don't know. Possibilities include, but are not limited to the following. One, improper sampling of the batch. Cultivators are responsible for testing their own products. The CCB has provided guidance to cultivators on how to create and submit a representative sample of each harvest lot. It is possible that this guidance was not followed, either in error or on purpose, in order to prevent detection of an illegal application of a banned fungicide. Two, a false negative at the lab due to either human or equipment error. Or three, a falsified COA, either by the grower or the lab. This is the least likely explanation. Unfortunately, this kind of activity happens in every other state that has created a regulated market, so we can't rule it out here. To address these issues, Chair Pepper has publicly announced an emergency request for $1 million from the legislature in order to expand its own testing capacity in-house through the creation of a state-funded analytical lab. This lab could theoretically improve turnaround times on test results in the event of a future consumer safety concern like this one. The CCB would also use it to timely analyze product samples it has collected during spot inspections at cultivation sites. Chair Pepper explained that this added layer of testing controlled by the CCB, quote, not only protects the consumer, 
it puts the cultivator on notice that they shouldn't try to manipulate their samples. Now for a little more info on Eagle 20, a fungicide that is approved in the U.S. for use on ornamentals, turf, and even some food crops like grapes to prevent or control the formations of molds and mildews. It is commonly available through garden supply stores and retail outlets such as Amazon. It is banned from use on cannabis crops in regulated markets because when heated to temperatures that can be commonly reached through smoking, vaping, or dabbing cannabis products, it converts into toxic gases such as hydrogen cyanide and hydrogen chloride. It has a long, sordid history of being used by some growers in the illicit market to control powdery mildew and bud rot, two common fungi that afflict cannabis. Eagle 20 leaves a persistent residue on the plant and in spray equipment. In its most recent board meeting on January 30th, the CCB informed licensees that microbutanol was appearing in routine lab testing. They reminded cultivators that it is a banned substance and warned of the potential for cross-contamination through spray equipment that had possibly been previously used to apply products like Eagle 20. They recommended that all growers use new equipment to apply any approved pesticides or fungicides they may be using in their cultivation practice. The existence of residual pesticides is not just a concern with flour. Microbutanol becomes concentrated in the extracts made from contaminated flour or biomass. This means that concentrates like distillates, live rosins, hash, and keef would all be affected and unsafe when smoked or vaped. The CCB tracking system is designed to track all harvest lots throughout the supply chain. If any of the affected cultivars associated with this consumer protection warning had been allocated to extraction and incorporated into any other cannabis products, the recall would have included them as well. So what can you do as a consumer to shop with confidence at licensed retail stores? Some consumers already have trusted relationships with growers and producers and will continue to shop with confidence. If you are new to the market, it is important to do your research on the products available. Get to know your producers by engaging with them directly through their website or by inquiring with staff at licensed retail locations. Some stores offer pop-up events with producers. These are great opportunities to speak face-to-face with the people making the products, just like you would at a farmer's market. If it is a grower, ask them about their cultivation practices. Do they grow indoors or out, in living soil or hydroponics? What are the inputs they use to feed their plants, and how do they control common pests and pathogens? As a side note, due to federal prohibition, growers are not allowed to say that their product is certified organic, but they can say that they utilize organic practices or techniques like integrative pest management. If you are engaging with a product manufacturer, ask them where they source their cannabis biomass or concentrates and what they know about the methods of cultivation and extraction. Some may be vertically integrated, which means that they are growing, extracting, and manufacturing products on their own. If this is the case, they should be able to talk about what goes into their products from start to finish. Whatever the case may be, if you are not getting answers to these questions, you should wait on making a purchase until you do. Each of the producers that we have hosted on this show employ best practices and are happy to engage with you in this conversation. To wrap it up, we'd like to acknowledge that becoming educated on the products that you consume Cannabis or otherwise is a form of self-care. It takes time and energy, but it is well worth it. There is a wonderful opportunity to learn more about both lab testing and the CCB's rules and regulations coming up on the evening of Thursday, February 23rd. Steep Hill, Vermont, one of the licensed analytical labs, is hosting its first after-hours speaker series, featuring CCB Director of Compliance Carrie Jagir, Ben Cohen of Ben & Jerry's and Ben's Best Cannabis Company, 
and Callie Chapman and Holly Heimseth, the lab director and senior scientist, respectively, of Steep Hill. It is free and open to the public. We'll include a registration link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this important bonus episode on consumer safety. We'll be back next week with the first episode of Season 2. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at hi5vt.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.